Take up our Bibles and turn to God's Word, to those words that we've sung, and a few more than that in Psalm 77. And so I'd invite you to turn there. The Lord willing it, next Sunday morning we will resume our study of the book of Matthew, and yet wanting to use Psalm 77 and 78, and certainly you look at 78 and you're saying that is a long psalm. And yet what it does is provide some, I think, much-needed um, perhaps appendix to Psalm 77, that in the call in Psalm 77 to meditate and remember those wonders, well, what is that? What are we to be thinking about in terms of those wonders and those works? And so we'll look at that this evening in Psalm 78. But here this morning, Psalm 77, even in the side note, in the day of trouble, I seek the Lord. And so this not only a prayer for us, but we pray that correction that we need in His Word. And so we Hear God's holy word, recognizing it is the authoritative, inerrant, infallible word of Almighty God. To the choir master, according to Jedithan, a psalm of Asaph. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble I seek the Lord. In the night my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the ears of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. With your arm you redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. As far the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Father, we ask then that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our spirit would be pleasing before you, that you would open our eyes to see the wonderful things in your word today, and that we would be comforted by it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Congregation beloved of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when, when I wrestle with the things that are going on around me or in my life, I can struggle to pray. And it's a struggle because I know I need to do that. I need to pray. <clears throat> My catechism answer continues to rattle around in my brain. Prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. And also because God will give His grace and Holy Spirit only to those who continually and with heartfelt longing ask God for these gifts 
and thank him for them. But that struggle is still real. I know that only the Lord can work in those circumstances to bring about what is best for my good and his glory. I know that. But yet there are still those moments, be it personally or professionally, and that isn't just for pastors, that's for all of us who are sitting here today, that rock us so much far deeply or more deeply than just the things that maybe we're consternated about in our day by day. And from them come feelings concerning the past or present that are so real and so all-consuming, but it's worse in those moments where it seems like God isn't near, that God isn't working, that He isn't remembering His promises, that it seems like everything in life is just hard and bitter rather than filled with grace and mercy. And maybe you've known some of those kinds of moments. Maybe you're living through some of those moments right now. It's what writers of old used to talk about as the dark night of the soul. Where we know these things and we can look around us and we know that God is sovereign and good and righteous altogether, but it's not my present experience. Or I'm not connecting that thing that I know to to that which feels and is wrecking my heart. And yet it's in the midst of those moments that we need to be brought again to the promise of God. We need to be brought back to His truth, to be brought again to His faithfulness, to the wonders of salvation worked in Jesus Christ. Even in those moments where we don't feel like it. Even in those moments where we might feel, does it matter? Does it change anything? Where we question the way of the Lord, when we've become weary of our calling out to Him and nothing changes, where we wonder, are you hearing? Will you answer? That's when we need to be brought back to a God who is constant, constantly faithful to His his Word, holy and righteous altogether, who always has been and always will be. That in the difficulties of our present, We would be led to look back considering his past deliverances because when we do that, it provides that correction now to look ahead and to be able to do that in the hope and the comfort that we so desperately need. All afforded to us because he doesn't change. But we do. And that's where the struggle is, that even in all the things that we know, even coming to the resolution here in Psalm 77, we still have to fight for that, and we still have to strain and work for that. It's hard to do because we're not able to look at our struggles and feelings rightly, that in our infirmity, even as we just sang, in our sin nature, we tend to focus on the moment or on our feelings more than on what is true. We become super nearsighted. And so you need that opportunity again to be corrected and be able to see the full field of a God who calls us back to himself and reminds us of what to remember in blessed or in bitter providences. That we can appeal to this, to the ears of the right hand of the Most High. And that's the center and theme of, of Psalm 77. 
which becomes, even in its phrase, the transition between the two actions that Asaph is laying before us in the psalm. And so in the truth and call of Psalm 77, we pray to know the way of the Lord, and that's in the first nine verses. And then we promise, as he reveals himself to us, we promise to remember the works of the Lord. And so we pray and we promise. So we pray to know the way of the Lord. And of course, that seems very basic. We can all get there, Pastor. Why do we need to even say it? But do we? You see, we pray to God that we would know his way and submit to it, and that's easier said than done, especially in the midst of those hard things of our lives. We don't always feel like praying, if we're honest. We don't always feel like it makes a difference. We don't always feel like God understands or that he knows what I'm feeling at all. We're conflicted in dealing with our feelings and emotions. And when that happens, we need to be brought back to the standard of God's holy word. That as Alistair Begg so often says, don't tell me what you feel, tell me what you know. What do you know in this moment? What do you know in these days? That we don't appeal to emotions, we appeal to the Lord. That's what leads us to our knees in prayer, which is what verse 1 really drives us to. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. I'm going to repeat it. He's encouraging himself to come on the basis of his truth and promise. He will hear me. We know this. So then why won't we come? Why is that such a wrestle? Why is it such a struggle? Are you coming? Are you pleading? Are you coming in faith, believing that he is good and at work for you and your salvation? If this is what we believe, why is that so hard? So we come back to the word, the blessing of Psalm 86, verse 7. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. Psalm 142, 1-3, with my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. I tell my trouble before Him. When my spirit faints within me, what is His confidence? You know my way. This is our assurance. That's our confidence. And yet we're still shaken by life's events with maybe the the bad way we rolled out of bed in the morning, to the first snarky comment we heard at work, to the first complaint we received after submitting our work, the first side comment from our husband when he comes home from a long day, another demand. And those those are easy ones. Compared to the struggles that we have spiritually, The losses, the griefs, the pains, the sorrows. We're troubled. And our feelings don't always match up with our faith. That's what's said for us in verse 2, right? In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out, literally continually stretched. I keep reaching out. My soul refuses to be comforted. That's the decision of the psalmist's heart. That isn't God. That's his own struggle. I refuse to be comforted. 
In every part of my being, I refuse. I have come to you with unceasing supplication. I pray continually, God. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know the God I'm to come to, but I don't feel any comfort. I don't feel any goodness. I don't feel any sweetness. The psalmist is totally dropping some huge dose of reality truth bomb here, and yet this isn't surprising to us because we've all been there. We've all been there. We pray and we pray and we pray, but there's no comfort. There's no answer. My circumstances aren't changing. My trouble isn't removed. And that doesn't mean we've stopped knowing God or thinking on His Word But there's something in us that is a roadblock to that word bringing the comfort and hope and refreshing that it should. It's because it's remembrances off. Verse 3, when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. There is nothing life-giving in it. I know the thing I am to do, but it brings groaning and moaning. But it's then, Christian, which we need to be encouraged to keep coming to keep coming, to come again before unchanging truth. Psalm 42, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I will again praise him, my salvation and my God. We we know hope. We know that only God can lead us there. Psalm 61 verse 2, from the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. It isn't about not having enough revelation or enough truth. God, I need you to work in me because I'm still in the depths, I'm still hurting, I'm troubled, I'm low. And so these words speak to the the deepness of melancholy, say even depression, discouragement that Asaph finds himself in. It's not a bad thing to say. In fact, there is strength in being able to speak it. But as Motier writes, and I found this quote very helpful in his commentary, he wrote, There can be a trouble so desire that even prolonged earnest prayer, even the assurance of prayer being heard, even thoughts centered on God, brings no relief, end quote. That's our struggle. It's a description of a dark night of the soul the most extremely challenging place to be, which rocks us to our core even then, not because of the circumstances then, but because of our struggle of faith, where nothing of the Word seems to be operating, making sense, or holding true. And because that happens, now this starts to affect us physically. Verse 4, you hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I can't speak. We're restless. We're weary. We don't know what to pray or say anymore. His reflex is still right. Verse 5, I consider the days of old, the years long ago, but I need help. Help me look back. Provide helpers along my way who will speak the faithfulness of God and His Word into me and with me. 
It says in Deuteronomy 32, verse 7, remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. He's calling for help. And not just from the Lord, but send me friends, send me encouragers, send me brothers and sisters into my life to speak what is real and what is correct. Even Asaph desires, even in this moment, God, I want to draw near to you. I want to call out to you in prayer and worship. Verse 6, I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Let me sing the songs, the old hymns, those psalms that are dear to me, that lift me up. They're an encouragement. Psalm 42, verse 8, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Reveal yourself to me in that way, God. Let me bring my heart's musings to you. Then my spirit made a diligent search. And what's interesting here is that while we search, and here we are in this trouble trying to make sense of things, but it's the spirit in that moment who is searching our hearts. What's there? What's the reality of that truth? What is the fullness of your comfort? What is the foundation of your life? And what truth then do we need to be led back to in such moments? Back to the standard. Here's still what is true. I know you don't feel it and you might not be experiencing it, but it's true. Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide nor keep his anger forever. That's what's true. There's baseline, always and forever. He hasn't changed. So in that moment where I'm struggling, God, why have you changed? God, what is changing in me and what needs to be changed? In my spirit, Lord, as I wrestle with doubt and bitterness on the basis of all of these changing circumstances, I am being changed by my doubting and my questioning of you. And so it's those moments, people of God, where we need to confess those doubts. Don't shy away from it. Don't pretend like they aren't there. Bring them to the Lord. This is the battle, Father. This is my wrestling. Let him bring you before his truth again. Again, what should we know? Exodus 34, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord, a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This is true. Asaph is brought before it, and yet his feelings do what? Even in the writing of the psalm. They believe the exact opposite. What do we feel in moments of grief or pain or hurt or confusion in relationship to God and his will? We feel like the opposite is true. That we need to question God and even the very things on which our faith is based. We hear it in his questions. 
Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be faithful? Lord, this is my experience, but I know your word. Will there be mercy again? I know you say you are merciful. Will there be? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? God, where is the exercise of your faithful covenant, loyalty, and love? Where? Let me know it. Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he shut up his compassion? And yet, what does it highlight for us? Our thoughts can lead us away from the truth. Our emotions and our feelings can lead us away from the truth. That your feelings and thoughts and your experience of them and how you interpret them or decode them, hear this, must not be the default setting of your faith. It's a terrible foundation to set your relationship with the Lord on. It's a terrible basis to set any relationship on. That's why we're called to pray in dependence upon one faithful in himself and to his word. Again, Motir, purely personal experience is too insecure a foundation on which to build a doctrine of God. So instead, come back to what you know. Come again to that word. Build your faith in the assurance that your prayers are being heard in him and in his word. That's what you're made to know by way of his word and Holy Spirit. Don't build on what you feel. Build on what you know. And so be encouraged in those moments. Don't shy away from the questions Asaph asks. Don't just deny them as though your experience isn't something to deal with. But as you consider them and work through your emotions, be brought back to your need to have and give a sure answer. One that doesn't change depending on the day or the emotion of the now. Because by faith you can give a better answer as you remember the works of the Lord. And that's the transition in verse 10. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. And here's the moment of translation. It's even the struggle of several translations because of just what is Asaph getting at here? Again, ours, I will appeal to this. It could also be translated as, this is my infirmity or this is my grief. This is the thing I have to work through and wrestle. Lord, this is on me. This is my own brokenness. This is my sorrow. My appeal is where I'm at, just as I am. But I have one plea. It's what brings us before the Lord in our weakness, in our doubts, in our grief over our circumstances, in our weak faith. It's what brings us before the Lord in our need to be built up and strengthened in the Lord, His Word, and His Spirit. That the transition is the, in the psalm is a moment of confession. Here it is, Lord. Here I am. Lord, help my unbelief and increase my faith. But what's finally remembered? I don't appeal to my feelings. I don't appeal to my experiences or what's worked for me or hasn't. 
I don't appeal to anything but to the sovereign power of a God who changes not and is always faithfully at work in every providence he gives. If he doesn't change and will never change, then I need to pray, change me. Change me. And after we pray that prayer, then we have the opportunity by faith to make a resolute promise to God in the same. I will remember you and your works. As much as everything in life or everything in the world around me doesn't seem to make sense to that, this is the truth and I will be built up on it. I will find my refuge in it. So please help me to do that. Verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your works of old. It is his own self-encouragement. It is that self-talk. I will do this. Say it again. Help me repeat all and remember all that is wonderful about you. Help me to meditate on all that you have worked supernaturally, miraculously, that you and you alone can do. It's the encouragement of Psalm 105, 5 and 6. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. You see, we have a great need to be directed more and more to the things that he said, to the things that he's promised, to the things that he's done, that we would ground our assurance rightly that we would come before him in confidence as we pray, knowing he hears and answers in steadfastness. Which leads us to ponder very different things than the first part of the psalm. Verse 12, I will ponder all your work. I will meditate on your mighty deeds. The words highlight a need to come to that word, to come to that account of his work and love in deep consideration, in fulsome study, and continued meditation. That in those moments of darkness, I need the light of that word to pierce it. I need to be saturated in that. Not just a couple times on Sunday, I need to come and I need to see it written there on the mirror and I need to hear it on the radio and I need that friend to text me. My life needs to be full of your word, God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And as we come to know those things and trust him more fully, in being brought to that kind of remembrance and consideration, it leads us back to that relationship, to the grace that he provides. In fact, it leads to worship. Verse 13, your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? Because brothers and sisters, if there's no one like him, then there's no way like his. And so even in that moment of worship, we are praying, Holy God, work in us a deeper submission to your way. That it's a way to be fearful of if you stand against God. But for us, it is the way of blessing and glory. Even if that way in this life is at times difficult, even when the road of suffering is long. Why can we meet that? Verse 14, you are the God who works wonders. You have made yourself known in might among the peoples. And he will use all, all those circumstances, all those struggles, all those emotions in life, as well as his truth to drive us to him. 
So that through that search, and, and we have to do it. We have to walk through that. You don't just get to pitch a fit and sit down and, and just say, well, God will eventually get through. You have to work through it. But through that search and submission, we are made more and more joyfully obedient in a desire to serve him and know him in all things. That it says in Exodus 6, 9, 16, but for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You see, in that moment, even in that darkness where you think nothing is making sense, you are making his salvation known. Because it's not about you. It's not about your brilliance and bringing yourself through it. It's about the God who has carried you through and walked you through it. Verse 15, you with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. He is our redeemer. The word there for redeem, goel, the kinsman redeemer. I have come in the flesh and purchased you for myself in my powerful blood. You have an assurance that lasts. But this is only a comfort if you have been driven to him by faith in a relationship with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We must believe that he is the God who delivers And he reminds us, even in this text, of the saving work of the Exodus account, the wonderful Old Testament proclamation of the gospel, which has to be understood not only in the fullness of its significance, but in the fullness of its comfort in driving us to a deliverer, in driving us to the inheritance of the promise. But what gets in the way? Our view of what that is. We know where we're going. Israel knew when they left Egypt where we're going. We're going to the promised land. Christian, where are you going? I'm going to the promised land. If that's where I'm going and this thing is in the way now, what will God do? He will bring us through. That's his promise. But what do we fix on? Verse 16, when the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. But I look at the deep water. I look at the storm. I pull Peter all the time. I'm not comforted in this. But all the difficulties of my life tremble before an almighty God. That he is working all of it. What we look at in seeing those waters is fear and distress. But what was God working there at the Red Sea? Habakkuk 3.8 says, Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses the chariot of salvation? Keep reading in verse 17. When the clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the world. When your lightnings lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook. Even then, Christian, what was God working? Distress for his people? Anxiety? Difficulty? Depression? Hurt? What he was working was salvation. He was going to use all of that for salvation. So hear this, even when life seems hard and your struggle is real and you might be tempted to doubt concerning what God is doing, in the promise of faith, believe in his way of salvation. That what you're going through right now is a way that God is working through you 
and in you to show forth salvation. It is holy and only of his work and love in his way. Because one of the other underlinable verses here in the psalm is verse 19. Your way was through the sea. You want me to walk through what? You want us to go where? It would be better to meet the Egyptians head on on the other side of that cloud and pillar than to have to do that. And God says, walk forward in faith. Walk to where I'm bringing you. His way was through the sea. His salvation brought even through a path of sorrow and hardship and confusion, working through difficulties and doubts to bring us most fully to him in the redemption he provides for us. He's worked in Jesus Christ. Isaiah 51.10, was it not you who dried up the seas, the water of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? The realities of these truths and the promise we hold to, knowing he preserves us under the same, even when we can't see his footsteps, is a moment where he is revealing that he's good. That he's caring for us in everything. And that all that will ultimately happen will serve for his glory. Verse 20, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is what his way brings about. This is what his power is directed toward. This is what his way is. Even when we cannot understand it, that's where it always leads. It leads to his glory and to our salvation. As Ortland writes, quote, God's ways run counter to our intuitions. The gracious provision of God confounds us even as it delivers us. But his word says, I deliver you. As fearful as all of that would be, he was at work, faithful to deliver and care. It is no less true for you. So I ask you, in the midst of your trials and tribulations, can you set aside your feelings to consider the works and wonders of Almighty God and what they're bringing about in you? Can you take the time to ponder that and pray for that? It says in Isaiah 63, Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put them in the midst of, his, in the midst of them his Holy Spirit? who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for themselves an everlasting name, who led them through the depths. Like a horse in the desert, they did not stumble. That's your hope. In following after him, you will not stumble. At times you might sink a bit and he'll draw near to pull you back up. But he's going to be faithful. And yet we're still in the present. We take this moment to retreat a while, but you're going to have to go back into those circumstances, back into the trouble, back into your experience of grief. You're still in the middle of your hard. You're still struggling. Your circumstance isn't resolved. Your doubts remain. Your feelings are still very real. None of that is to be discounted here in the psalm. But in the end, 
in calling out and remembering who God is and what he's done and what he's promised comes a seeking out of the Lord so that he'd be merciful according to his steadfast love. It's a moment to humble ourselves before him so that his wonder and work can be praised and asking, Father, help me to follow your way even though I can't understand it in every part. Even though I'm still going to struggle with questions like, has God changed? But even then, can we continue to profess our faith in the God of the Bible, the God who doesn't change and will never change, who is working good and glory? So if you can't right now, I get it. I get it. And there are people who are sitting next to you right now who get it. But you will be called by me and by them again to Jesus Christ, who's brought us and redeemed us in a better exodus, freeing us from all of our sin and all of our guilt in his great faithfulness, mercy, and love by his life and death on the cross. We believe a Savior greater than all your sin and all of your emotion and all your hurt and all your bitterness. Because there was no sorrow like his sorrow. And yet he walked it anyway. He called out to his Father, for his will to be done. He called out to him, trusting one who is forever faithful. So wrestle with your doubt and feelings. But then keep praying. Keep holding to the truth. He is faithful. Keep turning to the word. The Lord will make his way plain. Keep crying out for that mercy. The Lord will hear. Humble yourself. And he will lift you up. So Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, keep coming. For Lord, Habakkuk 3, 2, I have heard the report of you and your work. O oh Lord, do I fear. In the midst of years, revive it. In the midst of these years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Lord, lead us to yourself and to your word that we may know and glorify Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of the psalm and the blessing, Father, of knowing you in this way, and a God who is constant and sovereign. And Lord, we confess to you that our feelings oftentimes get in the way. We don't always parse out our thoughts in the right way. We don't always discern, Father, what is going on in, li in life, in the fullness of your will and what you're working. We become bitter or hurt, discouraged, even depressed. And yet we pray that even through these words, you would lead us to the rock who is higher than I. That you would bring us back to your word and back to its promise. And in those times where we're walking in that way, know that we don't walk alone. That you, your son, your spirit are with us. That your people bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so may we care for each other in those ways too. That we would be encouraged together, not in what we feel, but what we know for what we know is Christ. And so, Lord, as we come, as we give our offerings to you, as we seek to be a blessing to one another in this day, Father, may our interactions be bound up in the same we pray. So, Lord, bless us. Bless our giving to the Christian Education Fund this morning, Lord. Receive these gifts that we might teach our children the same to the glory of your name. Father, hear us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, we do bring those tithes and offerings to the Lord again this